Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship podcast. Today, I am talking with the creators of the Sisters Cracking Up podcast. So I have with me sisters, actual sisters, Abby Rodman, who is a psychotherapist, and Julie Howard, who is a beauty expert. So welcome, ladies. Today, we're going to be having a chat about midlife pet peeves, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This might be a super deep conversation, or it could be just completely hilarious. So we'll we'll see where this goes. So welcome, ladies. I'm happy to have you here with me. We're so excited to be here with you. Really, thank you for having us. And I'll just speak for Julie. Julie, you don't even have to chime in at all, really. (laughs) We are thrilled to be here, Jennifer. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about how you guys got started down the road of the Sisters Cracking Up podcast. Like, what was the impetus for wanting to put this show out in the world right now? So I think, you know, we've always been very close. We're close in age and we grew up very, very close. We had a very kind of chaotic, crazy childhood and that just engendered this closeness between us. I always say Julie raised me, even though I'm the older sister. (laughs) Um, You know, she taught me how to tie my shoe. She taught me how to blow a bubble with bubble gum, but among many, many other more important things. But we always thought we would try to do something together, but our lives took such different, you know, tracks. And I went in one direction professionally. She went completely different direction. We didn't live very close together. And then when COVID hit, you know, we all found ourselves with kind of a different, you know, schedule, so to speak. And it seemed like, okay, you know, why don't we try this podcasting thing, which it seems like everybody had the same idea at the same time. Yeah. And so we just brainstormed for a long time and then came up with this idea of addressing women in the same stage of life we're in, Mm. midlife, the insanities of it, the things that make us laugh, the things that actually can crack us, you know, emotionally and psychologically. And that's hence the name Sisters Cracking Up. And that's kind of how we started. Would you say, Julie? Pretty much said it all. I would only add that we found ourselves talking on the phone all the time, Mm -hmm. like every day, which, you know, we talked a lot, but not that much. And I think that the conversations we were having were more complex because of COVID. They were deeper. They were, you know, we were exploring topics that we hadn't touched on in a long time or that we thought Mm. were maybe important. And so that I think was part of the impetus. Like these are important conversations. Yeah. What I love about your podcast too, is that you really kind of approach the spectrum. So from, you know, Abby, you being a psychotherapist to, you know, Julie, you being a beauty expert, you've kind of covered the gamut of like where we all go from, you know, I've got more zits than I ever I've got more zits than I've ever had before. And I'm, you know, struggling with who am I, (laughs) right? Like literally the both ends of the spectrum, which I think is really, really quite cool. Uh, Yeah, that is part of 
I think the reason why it works between us is we are expert on different things. But it's funny that you talk about zits. <laughs> <laughs> why do we have zits? We're middle-aged. Uh, it's so seriously. annoying. I got one going right here. Yeah, Ooh, me too. Is it, is it like under? Those are the worst. <laughs> yeah. um, uh-huh. It's very strange. I And beauty is a really complex conversation for women our age. You know, uh-huh. you... you there's part of you that is kind of fighting and struggling to hold on to the image of yourself that you've grown so accustomed to and being sexually attractive and interesting mm-hmm. to your, you know, choice of partner and and then also this desire to be free of it all. Mm, right? Right. And to let go of all of that crap. And so you're at this I think women our age are at this like conflicted moment when it comes to beauty. You know, it's so true because you know, it's like in so many ways, we are stronger, smarter, better, more powerful than we've ever been in our entire lives. Yet we doubt ourselves more than we ever have. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I just want to tell the listeners that Jennifer is gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not enjoying. is like perfection. It's flawless. And I'm not enjoying myself so far. So <laughs> we, may, we, may, we may have to cut this short. No. Yeah. I'll say one thing to that. First of all, thank you. And the second one, good lighting, because I actually have more zits than I've ever had before in my entire life. Like I managed to get all the way through puberty and like teenagehood without ever having a problem with zits. And I'm like, now I'm what, 56, five years old. And now I've got zits. Now I've got zits. Like what? Well, no. your lighting must be, you know, Hollywood you know, <laughs> level because I, I can't see anything going on over there. <laughs> Yeah. Like I said, good lighting, but thank you. (laughs) But yeah, no. And you're right. Like this whole conflict, like this whole conflicted state that we're in, you know, it's, you know, plus we live in a society that has us more focused on how we look right than ever before. Right. Like I read somewhere that we see something like 3000 images a day about what the perfect woman is supposed to look like. And that consciously or subconsciously, we're measuring ourselves up against that thing. And, you know, our hair's going gray or got a few more wrinkles, maybe a few extra pounds, like whatever that might be. It's super challenging. And yet there is this person inside, I think all of us kind of screaming, like, it doesn't matter. And there's so much more to you. And, but, you know, society pressure is real. COVID adds another level to it, right? Yeah. Being on screen rather than being in person, there's a whole, you know, there's something happening for everyone about, you know, do I put the effort in that I used to? Mm. And then now, and also returning to that effort, like going back to work. I'll tell you something I don't miss at all is high heel shoes. Like, Mm. I mean, like I wore high heel shoes every day for Mm -hmm. 25 years. Yeah. When I think about it, I, I I think I was crazy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I know. I have I have a whole closet full of heels that I haven't touched in it's amazing. years. <laughs> I know. I wonder if men feel the same way at, when they hit midlife. Do they feel a desire to let go of maintenance the way women do, you know, maintaining some sort of standard? Or is this an exclusively female thing? Yeah, what that's a great think? question. That's a really good question. I mean, I think it's very different for them. Like, I think for us, the focus is more on our bodies and how we look. And for them, I think it's more of like a, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, an existential crisis, maybe. Like, you know, I have to, like, life is short. Like, what have I done? What have I, you know, have I proved myself? Have I earned mm-hmm. enough? Like, have I slept with enough women? Yeah. So I got to go get the, <laughs> the car, the, <laughs> the hot chick. 
Yeah. yeah I, I'm not sure. I, I think women and men, we all are looking in the mirror and we mm -hmm. all can see that our bodies are changing. We're aging. It seems that society has put more pressure on women to age well. And this kind of idea that men age well or age better. I mean, oh, we've sure. all heard that, right? They, they become distinguished and we become old. And I think that although we're kind of weaned to constantly be thinking about how we look, that starts at a very young age. Yeah. Men who are aging look in the mirror and think, yeah, where did this paunch come from? Where did these under mm -hmm. eye bags come from? I don't know if they'll go to the same extent as women do to try to correct for it. Certainly we see a lot more men walking around with gray hair than we see women walking mm -hmm. around with gray hair. Um, yes, there's a stigma though to dyeing your hair if you're a man, whereas most women, that's literally true. more than half of all women dye their hair in some way, shape or form. Although I feel like COVID kind of changed that because I saw a lot of women embracing their gray throughout mm -hmm. this, which I was There's like a big gray power movement, big movement. Huge. I know. I was not one of them because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think it looks good with my complexion. That's I just can't too. go there. <laughs> if I had the right complexion for it, I think I would do it. But yeah, we also our mom has completely white hair and has since she was a very young woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that I would look so much like my mother if I let my hair go white that I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, the other thing, like, and I read this as an article, like I had this experience, but then I read it is like when you were talking about COVID and like spending a lot of time on Zoom, I don't think I've ever spent as much time seeing my own face in action as I have in Zoom. And so I'd be sitting there going like, yeah. you know, That's it. right. That's it. You know, years ago, I went to see an eye surgeon, a, a plastic surgeon about having some under eye bags removed. This is pre-COVID, of course, and pre-Zoom and pre all this, you know, telehealth stuff that we do in my, my field. And she said that her two top groups of clients are people in front of a camera. So, you know, newscasters, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And therapists was her second biggest group of clients because she said in no other profession is someone staring at your face all day long. Wow. And when you're a therapist, in person or otherwise, people are staring at your face all day. And so you start to think about more about, well, how does my face look? I mean, so people are just looking at you the entire day. Mm -hmm. And I think Zoom has added to that because now yeah. we're looking at ourselves in addition to other people looking at us. So we've got yeah. this, you know, and there's no mystery as to why you can't get an appointment with a plastic surgeon <laughs> these days because of this whole phenomenon. And that's true. That is actually happening right now. Yeah, it's so true because I mean, and then like even just my own facial expressions when I'm talking, I'm like, really, I make that face when I say this word. Like that's how I that's how I look while I'm talking. It made me like very like hyper aware, you know? And mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen the book that Justine Bateman wrote a little while ago called Face. Mm -mm. You, know, you remember Justine Bateman? Yeah, Bateman sure. she's the actress. yeah. So she wrote a book called Face, and it talks about the 12 square inches of skin that can seriously impact a woman's psyche, right? And how oh, we show up in the world. Interesting. Yeah. And it was actually pretty timely because it came out just around, I think, at the beginning of COVID. But yeah, like how much, like how hyper-focused we are on this 12 square inches of skin, right? That represents how we show up in the world, whether we feel powerful, whether you know, and how we can move past 
this obsession, right? Like plastic surgery, like we said, is at an all-time high for women getting all kinds of things done. Mm -hmm. And listen, I am a huge proponent of do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel good. But like being able to embrace the things about yourself beyond your face is also critically important because like we have all of this knowledge and wisdom and experience to share. And yet we become like that gets downplayed and this becomes the focus of what we're of where we where we are. So yeah, I think that's really interesting that I love the idea of her book. I'm definitely mm-hmm. I, I was writing it down because I want to read it. You know, the question is, are you accepted and welcomed into the conversation if you're not doing the work to keep yourself looking yeah. a certain way? Yeah. Right? It's not even just, you know, is somebody going to want to be romantically involved with you or get to know you better? you know, after they meet you, are you even welcomed in Mm -hmm. to the world if you don't fit the standard? Yeah. And I think that's really a construct that we have not yet broken down. In fact, I think it's going in the other direction. I think young men and boys are being now expected to look a certain way and, Mm. you know, have six pack abs when they take off their shirt and, you know, whatever it is that, you know, the beauty standards are for boys they're going to become more like women rather than women becoming freer like men. I think it's going to be the other way around, unfortunately. I think everybody's going to be held to these standards because of all this direct on-camera stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, the number, like the age for the first Botox treatment is getting younger and younger and younger. Like how many people getting Botox in their thirties, right. You know, as a preventative for that, because it's not acceptable in our society to age, which is really quite sad. So talk about pet peeves. That is really sad. It's not acceptable to age. Yeah. Or at least not acceptable to look old. Yeah, because I think we're starting to see, you know, like in fashion and and um, even in beauty, like you're starting to see older women represented, but most of those older women are genetically gifted, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. For, you know, either thinness or, you know, just the quality of their skin or whatever, but they're not necessarily representative of what the rest of the world is experiencing. Right. They're also investing in that with the best, you know, people available to make that look natural and great, you know, so they're having the best plastic surgery, they're having the best, you know, procedures. And mm-hmm. by people who really, you know, there are people in the beauty industry who really know what they're doing. I mean, have you seen Madonna? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah. I, it's almost shocking. It's almost like she's been rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't look like the cat lady. Like we all remember the cat lady from Mm -hmm, years ago. mm -hmm. She doesn't. She looks, it's startling. You should check her out if you haven't seen her. I haven't seen her in a while. No, me either. I will go, I will go have a look. So from your, your experience, and you know, obviously in people you've talked to on the podcast, like what has been your biggest challenge with coming to terms with or navigating through this time of your life? (laughs) Wait, how much time do we have? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I need to switch rooms so I can lie down for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, is there that's one thing? Such a good question. What would you say, Julie? I'll toss it to you. Well, I left my my job, my career. Mm. That was the biggest challenge in my life, and that was a huge transition. You know, yeah. it was my identity for so mm. so many years, and. 
getting used to myself without that label was a really big challenge. Oh, I'm still shoot. not sure I'm all the way through that. Like Abby said, I could talk about that different ways, but it certainly made me feel my age. Mm. And it was very interesting how the people in my life reacted to it. Some people were great and super supportive and other people were very frightened for me, mm. you know, very scared that, you know, I was going off the rails or going off track by doing that. So it was interesting and, and hard. And yeah. Hard. I can so relate to that experience. So relate to oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Like I did the same thing just like just before my 50th birthday, I found myself because I was a in corporate for my entire life, a 30 year career as a corporate executive. I found myself without a job, I'm divorced, empty nester and battling oh, oh, oh. a stress-related illness. And so I was literally every identity that I thought defined who I was in the world was taken away from me. And I was forced to come to terms with like, who am I underneath all of that? That's mm -hmm. astonishing all at once. Yeah. I mean, you know, I honestly truly believe it was the best gift that I could have possibly given <laughs> in the ugliest package. Mm -hmm. um, but like, had I not been forced to stop and kind of come to the reckoning of like, who am I? Who knows where I would have ended up, but I definitely wouldn't be the woman I am today. And I'm super happy with her. So, oh, so yeah. it was a good outcome for you. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like that's incredible. Abby, what do you think? What was the question? What, you, what has <laughs> been for you the most challenging or thing that you've had to navigate through this time of your life that you found most traveling? It can be anything. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, the empty nest, I always tell clients and anybody else who wants to listen that there really is no such thing as the empty nest because the kids are home all the time. anyway. <laughs> so that's kind of a myth that's been put out there. Although it is, you know, I, I mean, I get it. It is, it does signal a life change for me. That was not the case by the time my kids were, you know, ready to be launched. I was ready for them to be launched. I right. had three sons who were very close in age it was a wild ride raising them. And I think by the time that they were going to college, I was like, okay, this is good for everybody. You know, I had also gone through a divorce. I got remarried, but I think, you know, I have this very, for me, I, Julius pointed this out to me recently, and I think it's very true. I have a very prescribed way of thinking that people should behave. And mm. I have the standard for how people should behave. I will not let go of that standard. I will not let go of it regardless of, you know, anything else I need to work on. But I also have had to really, not to make this take a very dark turn, but I've also realized that, and I think this is true for a lot of people our age, by the time all the smoke clears, we really have to look at our own trauma and how that has informed us and the decisions that we've made and the decisions we haven't made. And I am starting to have the sense that I was more traumatized <laughs> than I even thought, which was already a lot. So, but, you know, it's just been this time of life where it's like, wow, I've made some really bad decisions. And, you know, tracing that back to, you know, trauma-informed work and all that. So I don't know. I'm all over the map with it because it's such a time of change. But I agree with you, Jennifer. I think that there's, it is, can be time of incredible growth mm -hmm. and a self-knowing as well. That is, mm. if you don't get it now, when are you going to get it? Like, this is the time. Right. 
Yeah. And I honestly, like, I truly believe that this time of our life is about like shedding all the things that are no longer serving us. So whether it's careers or relationships or even how we show up for ourselves or don't show up for ourselves, we are meant to be like shedding all of that stuff to become the most authentic version of who we are. Like for me, when I look back on my career, I mean, I did really well in my career, but I was like, there was always something missing for me that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Right. It would be like, sometimes I'd be sitting in a boardroom and I'd be going, sick, is this really right? And you know, it was only having, you know, having left and started to realize, oh, there's all these other parts of me that I never got a chance to explore because I was in the mold of, you know, what I needed to do or to be, to do what I needed to do. And I think this is the time of life where it's about coming back to who's underneath all of that stuff. So, you know, we've molded ourselves around duty and obligation and everything else, right? It's now time to strip all of those things are leaving. So we strip it all away and who's there, right? Some of us had that, knew that person before. And some of us like me met met her for the very first time. But it's about coming back to that core because I truly believe that in the core of who we are is where our gifts lie. Mm -hmm. And that is what we're supposed to be focused on right now. I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I, I saw the people around me in my corporate life. I could see the people who were connected to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were rocket ships at right. work. Right. Because they got up every day and they were doing exactly what they wanted to be doing. Mm. And I knew for years that I wasn't. Yeah. I kept trying to find the path within the industry <laughs> oh, yeah. that was going to put me in that authentic space. There were mm-hmm. things about my job that I loved. Mm-hmm. There were parts of it and pieces of it and certainly people that I loved. But I was never one of those people within right. that environment who was on their, they were on their right path. Mm-hmm. and. I think you're right. And Abby, you said it. If not now, when? It's, right. This is the age where, you know, you have to look for that. You have to look for that person inside of yourself. Yeah. I have a friend who's a therapist and a coach. She's a dear friend and she's a very talented at what she's very talented at her work. And she works with women in midlife. And one of the questions that she asks women when she works with them is tell me about yourself without mentioning your children. And, you know, so many of us for so many years, you know, if someone said, how are you? It was like, well, this kid's doing this and this kid's going to college here and this kid, you know, and, but she does, but she will not hear that. So you, so it's a really challenging question for a lot of women, those of us who have children to kind of step outside of that. I think, Jennifer, that's what you're saying. It's like stepping outside of these prescribed roles and, you know, okay, if I can't talk about my kids, well, what am I going to, who am I? And, you know, it is about getting to that space of, yeah, who am I? Who am I without, you know, mother, daughter, wife, partner, worker, employee, whatever it is. It's funny when I talk about my kids, I'm deflecting because I don't want to talk about myself. Mm. Yeah, we all do that, right? (laughs) But that's what it is. Yeah. 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 We're so used to putting ourselves last on our list, right? Like we do for everybody else. We do for our careers. We do for our families. We do for our partners. And, you know, now with the focus being on us, for many of us, that's like super, super uncomfortable. Mm. 
I kind of like it. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I still find it uncomfortable. Yeah. If I go through a day and I am, you know, I'm so used to being in that frenetic, check the box, get stuff done. And if I go through, I almost have a hard time relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. I can so relate to that. Like it's taken me like, and I have actively worked on it to get out of the productivity mindset mode Mm. since, because I think, again, if you've been in corporate for as long as we both were, like it is drilled into you, right? Like it just becomes who you are and how you operate. Right. And I recognized that it wasn't serving me. Like I, I got so burnt out that I literally physically couldn't get out of bed one day. Right. Like I stopped sleeping, but I still couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, okay, girlfriend, something needs to shift here in a big way. Right. And so I had to start. And you just said that digging in under, okay, why, why am I this way? And unpacking trauma and wounds and all the things that were in that bucket that I, you know, ignored for a good chunk of my life. Right. Yeah. So, Abby, as a therapist, like I'm thinking about when you're talking, I'm dying to ask you, Jennifer, and I know it's not me interviewing you, but no, I'm no, ask me. To say, ask me. Yeah. Well, you know, what were the steps you took from that moment where you couldn't get out of bed to this moment where you love your life? Like, how did you get from A to here? Yeah, it's a long and convoluted story, but I will say the very first thing that I did. And this took some time for me to do after there was a lot of like crying and wailing and poor me and all of this, like who starts over at age 50, like all of that feeling sorry for myself. And then at some point I just surrendered to it and was Mm. like, okay, this is what it is. And it's this way for a reason, but what do I have to learn from it? Right. And, you know, like my body was also talking to me at that time, like I couldn't get out of bed. So I started going on these like really slow, slow, slow walks. Right. And before that, I was the person who was in the gym at, you know, 5.30, 6am before I went to the office. Right. And like the only thing my body could handle was these 10 minute short walks. And so mm-hmm. I would just start doing that. And then that became thinking space. And then I started diving hugely into the world of personal development and spirituality and really just understanding that my world was reflecting back to me what I how I was showing up, right? And that I knew that if I wanted my life to be different, I had to show up differently in it. So I've just shortened what, what took mm. <laughs> a long time of coming to terms with it. But, um, and that's when I, I hired a coach. Well, actually I went to therapy and I hired a coach and to say, okay, I need somebody to call me on my shit here because clearly I can't see it. <laughs> So, and that was it. And that was the beginning of the evolution. And for me, and this is, I talk about this all the time. For me, it was about really turning inwards. Like I had lived my life by external cues and now it was time to like really get tapped into my intuition, like my own joy, my own passion. Like I would wake up every day and say, I just want to be passionate about my life. And the last Mm. part of my career, I wasn't passionate about it anymore. I had been, but I wasn't anymore. Right. And, you know, so then I just started exploring, like, what's my joy? What's my passion? And, you know, Old Chicks No Shit was born as a blog of my own experiences and that it just kind of grew and mushroomed. And yeah, it just, I just kept following the threads of like, what makes me happy right now? Right. And the more I chased, like the more I chased my own happiness and, you know, connected with myself, the more things just became very clear to me about the direction that I needed to go. So yeah, that was all like a long process. That's inspirational though. I mean, just that you were able to, I mean, obviously that's born of your, you know, your survival, you know, your 
desire and, and need to survive and thrive in a way that was different was not allowing you to stay stuck. And that's, that's the magic sauce, I think. Yeah, because uh, some part of me knew there was something else to be explored. Like I couldn't have articulated it to you in any kind of an intelligent way, but like my body, my soul knew. And it was like, okay, let's go figure out what this is, right? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if you experienced that in the same way, but <laughs> it's uh, leaving your job, especially like as soon as that noise dies down, all of a sudden, like there's energy that comes back to you and you can hear things that you didn't hear before, right? For sure. I definitely did a lot of, so my first reaction was panic. My mm. first reaction was I need to go find another job in a different field. That was my, right. I'm going to have the exact same life, but with different products. That's, that's what I, I don't know why that was my response, but I was like, you know, I've always wanted to work in home furnishings or jewelry or other luxury goods other than, than cosmetics. So that's what I was going to do. And of course, this is right as COVID was happening and there were not a ton of companies out there dying to hire an expensive executive in a field that they had never worked in before. And um, <laughs> so I kind of hit a wall right out of the gate. And I, I realized, you know, what am I doing? Mm. You know, this is clearly like everything is working against me at this moment. Like I couldn't be getting more signals if I tried that I was going in the wrong direction. And that's when I started to explore similarly what you did, you know, mm. I, you know, I had a really bad experience with exploring the coaching. I did end up with a great coach, but I had a bad experience when I first started working with coaching and this goes back to our ageism conversation, that they would kind of put me in a bucket. Mm. Like the coaches would be like, okay, old person looking for a job. They would start out by saying things to me like, you know, you're not going to make as much money as you used to make, right? Thanks. Mm. So you need to get in that mindset because you're not going to make it. And I would just be like, wow. I am clearly in this now age group of people that are treated like all those years of experience weren't valuable that I had to I had to step backwards in order to even get employed was the message I was getting, which was really shocking to me. That is my biggest pet peeve, I have to say, is how much we're discounted. It's like you reach this age and you're supposed to be like preparing to ride off into the sunset, right? When the reality is like there's so much more left to explore. So like there's this whole, you guys have probably heard this, this whole notion of the stages of womanhood, which goes um, made mother and crone. Mm, yeah. yeah. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, so I'm no longer really a mother because my kid's gone now. Right. So then my daily mothering duties are done, but I'm like, I'm not resonating with crone yet. Like mm -hmm. I am not this wizened old woman on the mountaintop. Like God, like, so I started kind of exploring. I'm like this chapter of my, of your life. It's actually like 30 years. It's the, actually the longest of any of the chapters. And yet it's completely missing from any definition that describes womanhood. So I actually retermed these years. So like between the ages of like 50 and 80, the maven years, because if you look up the etymology of the word maven, like it this. means expert with knowledge and wisdom to share, right? I am in Boom. love with this. Me too. Boom. Hashtag maven. I'm all over it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what we are. We are mavens. 
right? And so this is the time. And so this is where this whole thing kind of comes together for me is like, we're stripping away all this stuff that's not working for us at a time where we are now focusing on our own gifts. And we have this chapter of like 30 years to make a change, to start a new career, to, you know, start a business, to do whatever the hell it is that we Mm want to do. Don't you think it's fascinating that women our age are very interested in helping other people? A lot of us turn to 100% 100% this idea of I want to do something good in the world. Yeah. Do you yeah. find that Abby? Yeah, I find that I'm thinking about for myself and thinking about feeling like I have what Jennifer's talking about, this wisdom, this life experience, this, you know, almost like wanting to say to younger women, don't do what I did, right. you know, do, do this differently. Yeah. That to me feels very important. I think, you know, we can help people in all kinds of ways, but I also do think that there's an opportunity in midlife to, in Maven, in Mavenhood to, you know, also talk to women our own age and say, mm-hmm. you know, you've got these years, what do you want to do with them? Yeah. Like, let's learn from each other. Let's, you know, figure this out together. We're not going down easy. Like this is, yeah, we've worked so hard to acquire all this wisdom and life experience and pain and heartache and all of this stuff. Like let us help each other. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, I mean, there are so many gifts. I mean, I look at this group of women and I'm like so many brilliant, like smart, just kick-ass women. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, really, we're putting these people out to pasture now? I think not. Mm -mm. Like, right. So redirecting that to making a change to leaving a legacy is so, so huge for all of us. Right. Yeah. There's actually a psychological term. I think it was Carl Jung who coined it called generativity. And it's this whole notion of wanting to give back and to leave a legacy, which I'm like, like you said, it's common amongst women of our age, I find. So, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the crone. First of all, just biologically, we didn't live as long. So women probably did go from mother to crone much <laughs> faster than they do. True. Now. Yeah. But the crone, I love like all things like Arthurian legend, fantasy. Mm. I write fantasy novels for kids. And it's funny to hear our conversation, how we talk about how we're seeking the truth and we're, we are seeking our souls and our true purpose. And all of those things are associated with the crone. All of those things are associated with that woman, on the, the old lady on the mountain who right. knows the truth. So in this mavenhood, maybe we're learning. Yeah. We're learning those deeper truths. And it's fascinating. I love that you gave it a name. I love it. Yes. I'm so stealing it right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's free for the taking, free for the taking. Live your mavenhood. I love it. I love it. Yeah. No. Having a divorce. Abby's an expert on divorce and family relationships. You're Hmm. you're not? I am. (laughs) Personally and professionally. I was speaking professionally, but you can go anywhere. In the field experience. Well, you know, this is the age group where we're seeing the highest percentages of divorce as well. And so this is a time for, as you were saying, Jennifer, for you too, life where people are seeing these long-term partnerships and marriages dissolve. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole other, you know, experience that brings us to a place of who am I, what do I want? Mm -hmm. And forcing us to look at the decisions that we've made that may or may not have been in our best interest or that we were 
you know, that we were honoring somebody else's wishes or desires or dreams for us and not our own. So there's a lot in there. You know, I always say that the, you know, the path for women or the way I understood it was grow up, get married. That was my, you grow up, you get married. Like that, mm. that was your, that was it. That was the course mm. of your life. Grow yeah. up, get married. And what else does that leave room for? Right. You know, I think there was some messaging in there. Yeah. Go to college. That was, you know, you should do that. You grew up have kids. House? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Grow up, get married, have kids. I it's, forgot about that. Yes, yeah. I forgot about the kids part. Grow up, get married, have kids. And so why did you say that? Because you felt like that wasn't the messaging? Not for me. What was it? Maybe Go be they, a business they executive. I didn't have a prayer. <laughs> or maybe they were like, the older one's the dumb one. So let's, <laughs> so let's, let's marry her off. <laughs> let's marry her off. She'll probably be a good mother. Let's work on the younger one. She's at least got a shot. That's that's so interesting that you guys grew up in the same experience, but had totally different experiences of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different messages. You know, I I think that I the message I got was grow up, get married, have kids, and also have mm. a big career. And so I think it was that message that so many of us in our generation, yeah. in the you know young baby boomers, Gen Xer generations, was you have to do everything and do mm. it well. Like grow up, yeah. get married and have kids would have seemed like a cakewalk compared to grow up, get married, have kids and also have a career. Yeah. And so like, I think that us having to, you know, the the whole 70s generation of women doing all this work for us and, I, you know, we stand on their shoulders, et cetera. But they also left us with a huge burden of feeling yeah. like we had to do absolutely everything. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true because I mean, I I feel like, you know, we are the leading edge of the midlife revolution because we are the first generation, like the first true generation to have had, you know, big careers, executive careers, raised kids, did all the things, right? Mm. Held down the household. And then at some point we're like, okay, enough, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. this is insanity. And like, let's now, and to your point about leaving a legacy and telling younger women, you know, it's like, let's change the paradigm for what's possible for women, right? Like that you could have two careers or maybe even three careers, right? You know, that you can choose to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Like you could or not make the mistakes careers. that I made. Yeah, exactly. You know, this idea of fractional living, I think is really interesting. And I've been hearing yeah. that word more and more and I like it. Yeah. You know, careers in which you can put as much time or as little time. Like Abby has a great career, I think, because being a therapist is something she can do till she's 80. Mm -hmm. Like there's no glass ceiling. There's no ceiling at all in terms of age. Mm -hmm. or sex, which I think is unusual. I think a lot of people bump into things, even, you know, men, women, I'm talking generally, that Abby's career choice was just really a good one, a good fit for her, obviously, and also mm -hmm. just a good, a good career path overall in this, how do I balance life question? Yeah. Abby, now that I've said that about you, do you agree with that or not? <laughs> Yeah, I understand it completely. I wouldn't say it was a factor when I was choosing it. So I wasn't mindfully thinking, oh, what can I do? What can I age into? But it does allow for some of the things and the frustrations that we've talked about, which is, you know, this hopefully imparting wisdom in a therapeutic way to clients and, and mm. helping them figure out next steps for themselves. 
But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's something you can do and keep doing. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a way to think about your calling or the work that you want to get into. You know, Mm -hmm. what can I keep doing and not be shut out of it at some point? Because, you know, my age is no longer, uh, you know, attractive to my employer. Right. Right. That's almost backing into it. Right. So is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Like you want to choose what you're passionate about, not not the parameters. Like I only have to work till 4 p.m. So this is the career for me. (laughs) It's not a great way to pick a job. (laughs) But here's the thing, right? Like, and I say this like to some of my coaching clients all the time is, you know, I've chosen a new career. I've chosen a new direction and I probably work as hard, if not harder sometimes, but the difference is I am now in an energy renewing situation as opposed to an energy depleting situation. So being in a situation that wasn't completely aligned with who I am was literally draining my energy with every interaction and now being fully in alignment with myself, like the the truth of who I am, it's actually doing what I do actually fills me up. Like doing this podcast, like fills me up. Like I'm on Mm -hmm. an energy high for the rest of the day. Right. And so that to me is the difference. And that's the importance I think of really following your passion. Like what is that thing that, that little nudge inside you that's like, you know, niggling at you pay attention. Right. Cause there's something there for you. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it's cool. I was just going to go back to divorce for a second. So, you know, in like a lot of us getting divorced, I don't know if the divorce rate's like a 50% now or maybe more or less somewhere in that Approximately, neighborhood. Approximately, yeah. Yeah. And do, are you seeing that more divorces are initiated by women? Oh, yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's it's happening, you know, in this age group. And also women are initiating it for a variety of reasons, you know, versus mm-hmm. you're saying, Jennifer, like, we're just sick of all the shit and we don't, we don't want to take it anymore. And also this idea that we are this generation of women who work and have our own money and are able to support ourselves if need be, as opposed to maybe Mm -hmm. prior generations where women were really trapped financially. And also just this idea that, you know, divorce is not no longer, you know, it's, it's not a shameful thing. People understand that sometimes marriages don't work out and even kids understand that. And so, you know, this, this idea that, you know, I'm going to destroy my kids' lives or they're going to be the only kids on the block whose, you know, parents are divorced. That's just not true anymore. So there's a lot more freedom, I think, for women to make the choice. And they are. Yeah. Just no longer being able to put up with whatever just isn't working. Well, it's interesting because my ex-husband and I are actually really good friends now. Like we, I always joke, I be like, we did divorce so much better than we did marriage. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like we're like, (laughs) we get the A plus on the divorce thing, but we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, um, like what went wrong or, you know, that type of thing. And basically we came down to this, like we basically got together and just triggered the hell out of each other for 22 years until neither of us could take it anymore and then separated to do our own work. And now we've been able to come back and have these conversations from this perspective of, you know, each of us owning our own stuff. (laughs) And it's been really fascinating. And I'm thinking, Mm. you know, I was thinking like, wow, like I wish that more people knew that like going into a relationship that it's, it's about how you show up. It's not about the other person, right? Mm. And like doing your own work and making yourself accountable because that's what we've done. And we've managed to be able to become great friends. Like we celebrate holidays together, like, you know, with his partner, my new partner, like, like that's, and sorry, so we do it so well, but 
being able to have these conversations in hindsight has been super, super interesting because that's basically what we did for 22 years. That really is a gift because I can tell you that most divorced couples are not doing that. Yeah. Not that people can't be friends. And sometimes people, even in the most heinous of divorces, somehow find their way back to uh, Mm -hmm. amicable or, or some kind of, you know, friendly relationship. But most people are not doing what you're describing, which I think is such a fascinating experience. It must be just to, you know, be able to kind of like dig into what you were both bringing to the table at the time with probably not even realizing it because you were probably quite young and, you know, who the hell knows what we're doing when we're in our, nobody knows in their (laughs) twenties what they're doing. Nobody. Nobody knows. Like, yeah, I got married at 24. Like I barely knew who I was, let alone, you know, and yeah. So, but anyway, it's been really fascinating to be able to have those conversations. And like I said, we've both kind of gone away and done our own work and now we have different perspective on it, but again, there's so much learning that can happen. It's also random. Oh, so go ahead. It's also just, you know, a credit to both of you that you were willing to do that work and also to take ownership. Right. If you're both willing to say, yeah, I did this and that wasn't so great. Or I was like this and that wasn't Mm -hmm. so great. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like next level. That is next level (laughs) shit right there. And I come, I know I'm commending you guys. That's, that's amazing. You know, I, I am grateful for him being who he is that we've been able to come to this place. I mean, it took a while, right? Like there was mm-hmm. a few bumps and stuff and it took a while, but um, I'm just super grateful that I had a partner who was willing to, <laughs> to do this dance with me. And I know it, it doesn't work that way for everybody. So, mm-hmm. And Abby, or sorry, Julie, you were going to say something. I was going to tell you that I've been rewatching Friends. Oh, yeah. Which, by mm-hmm. the way, is still hilarious. But it's amazing how much society has changed. There's an episode where Monica is describing to Ross that his bride-to-be, Emily, has been dreaming of her wedding day since she was five. And she talks about, don't you remember when I used to put my t-shirt over my head like a veil? And, you know, this, like when I was a little girl and when you guys were talking and you were saying that you got married when you were 24. And I think, Abby, you got married around 23 right and i was thinking we ought to change that narrative yeah of like your wedding day is some Mm. sort of like prize that you've won the holy grail yeah Yeah, it is (laughs) and because i think people think it's going to answer a lot of their deeper life questions that they should be asking themselves like you know what do i want to do every day and who do i want to be and you know and if little girls are still at five years old playing bride I think that might be the wrong, wrong story. Yeah. Wrong game. Wrong game. Bride is not the game. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was going for a walk actually not too long ago, a couple of months ago. And I walked past these two little girls playing on the street. They're probably like five or six playing out front of their house. And the one, this made me smile so much. The one little girl said to the other little girl, well, when I own my company, oh. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. I so love good. it. Like no five-year-old said that when we were growing up. No. Right. <laughs> So cute. no, that's so I was cute. just like, oh, I was like that. That just made me like smile for the rest of my walk because I'm like that. That right there is what we need. <laughs> I used to play a game with my friend Karen Lacalamita. Do you remember Karen Lacalamita? I remember her name. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where she is. I used to play a game where we worked in a business. We worked in a in a design business, hmm. but we were secretaries. Oh, the secretaries! <laughs> secretaries. 
We would answer the phone and pretend to type. And yeah. we would draw. We were designers. We would draw the dresses and then we'd hang them up on the wall. But most of the time we typed and answered the phone. Well, I remember going to visit dad. Our father worked in Manhattan. You know, he was an executive and we would, you know, get all dressed up when we were little and go and visit him. And all of the women were secretaries, right? In these yeah. companies, they were all, I shouldn't say all, but that's what through my eyes. And they were all, I thought they were glamorous. So glamorous. Yes. They were so glam, you know, they had their little high heel shoes and their pencil skirts. And this yeah. is, this is probably in the what sixties and, you know, just that, you know, kind of, so your game with your friend probably came from that, you know, seeing yeah. that, that the glamor oh, yeah. of, of the Manhattan secretary or whatever. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, ladies. No, it actually wasn't. It really wasn't. So any other pet thoughts, peeves? midlife pet peeves or anything that you guys want to cover? The texture I- of my hair is changing. That's a pet peeve. Forget the color. That's driving. I'm, just, I'm going to list them off. The texture of my hair is changing, which I hate, uh, that I have to pee in the middle of the night. I can just time. keep going. <laughs> And sometimes I just bump into my husband, you know, on his way back from the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> We're both in there, you know. I'm just trying to think of the things that really, really bother me, like the little annoying pet peeves. Just not, I really don't like how some people treat me out in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a little dismissive. Yeah, ma'am. Yeah, ma'am. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, a little dismissive. I don't know. What about you, Abby? Any little little pet peeves? Anything that bugs you? Or words of advice for midlife? Mm. I don't think you have to tolerate the bullshit. Yeah. Mm. And I think, you know, we just interviewed on our podcast, um, Danielle Gibson. She's a confrontationalist. And she talks mm. about confrontation and being authentic and just saying what you think and feel. And mm. it's up to the other person how they receive Yeah. You know what you're saying. And of course, it's not about being an asshole. It's just about, you know, speaking your truth. And if you're not going to do it at this time of life, when are you going to do it? I mean, this is the time of life just to, you know, just to be able to speak your truth and to confront things. Do you think this is how the old age no filter begins? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We start absolutely. speaking our truth and then it turns into crazy, no filter old person. <laughs> I'm almost there. So I'm not sure how long it's going to take you. <laughs> I think that, you know, there are things that, you know, in in our world that are pet peeves for me. Hmm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even know where to start, but I know, you know, even just currently, you know, this whole idea of social media platforms disseminating uh-huh you know, misinformation. Yes. And I just, you know, these kinds of things, the direction that our country is going in and in some very scary ways politically, I just, you know, I think it's, we start to think more about what are we leaving to our kids? Yeah. You know, what are we leaving them with, you know, with, uh, you know, climate change and, you know, and all of these things. And I'm not sure what we do about them, except for what we can do in our own small ways. You know, it's Um, funny, but the older that I am, the more I care about and the more tuned in I am about those things. And I wonder, is that something related to our age or, you know, because when I was younger, I could kind of tune that stuff out, Mm -hmm. like what was going on in politics. I was caught up in being a mom or being an executive. I could tune it out more easily. Now I feel much more 
connected and responsible for, for right. being a part of what's going on in the world. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, you know, as I'm watching the world changing and things moving in directions that we could have never seen coming, <laughs> although maybe we could, but for me, it feels even more important to like really make the most of my life right? Like to really kind of step into the things that are really important to me and change what I can change within what's important to me, you know, and navigate the things that I can't, right? And and I think that like really kind of claiming and owning our power and owning our passion and owning our voice and all of that, like that feels super important more than ever because, you know, we don't know what the world is going to be. There's no guarantees in anything, you know, and like next year I turn the age that my mother was when she passed away from cancer. Mm, and I'm oh like that in itself, I'm like, she didn't know at the beginning of her 56th year that she was not going to have this year. Right. So it's just becomes like, I think I've just become while more aware of what's going on, much more focused in my own bubble. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I think that is a startling I'm going to say wake up call, even though I don't like that expression, mm -hmm. but it, it really forces you to confront, you know, the idea that, you know, there's a time limit to all this. Yeah. And I think that's a very big thing that, yeah. you know, that you're the same age that she was. I think that's a, that's a very big kind of come to Jesus moment. Oh yeah. And like that, you know, like um, you said it, Abby, if not now, then when, right? Like that just is like, okay, it's now, it's like right mm -hmm. now. So, well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, so much fun. It's been amazing. You guys, this is sisters cracking up podcast. We'll make sure that we put all of the notes, we'll put it in the show notes so that everybody can find the podcast on a wide range of topics all related to midlife. So very similar to what you find on the old chicks no shit podcast. <laughs> but always happy to collaborate with my fellow midlife podcasters. <laughs> Loved it, Jennifer. You're so great. I love what you're doing. I've been listening to your podcast. It's great. It's Your guests are so interesting. Thank you for letting us be on. Thank you I'm so much for inviting us on. It was a so pleasure. So happy to have you guys. Until next time, you guys, stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.